You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Is obesity caused by genetics? Now, obviously, genes play a component in all health outcomes, but is it the primary cause of our obesity epidemic? Also, what is fueling our metabolism? What's fueling our brain health, our heart health? What's the preferential fuel used by our cells to perform at our very best? If we're talking about weight loss, if we're talking about performance and exercise, if we're talking about our heart beating, what is a preferential fuel that helps these processes to run without side effects? Because we know that abnormal amounts of blood glucose consumed and then used to drive these processes can lead to a lot of downstream dysfunction. High blood glucose is a major causative agent in diabetes, in prediabetes, in chronic conditions with cardiovascular dysfunction, heart attacks, strokes, Alzheimer's, obviously obesity, the list goes on and on. So is there an alternative? Is there an alternative fuel to help to fuel our body to be its very best? These are just some of the things that we're covering today. And I think this episode is truly going to blow you away. Now, first things first, we always wanna keep in mind that we wanna build our health on a strong foundation, right? Nutrition, because our nutrition is truly making all of our cells all of our tissues, our organs, organ systems, this is all made from the food that we eat. So we want to provide our bodies with the best possible building materials. Also movement, our genes expect us to move for healthy expression. Movement is a determinant of so many different health outcomes and processes in the body. Exercise is a primary means for increasing the absorption of our nutrients from our food. Also, elimination of metabolic waste products. Good food is one piece, but we cannot make the most of it without movement. Obviously, our sleep quality matters a tremendous amount as well. But when it comes to adding in certain key nutrients for specific purposes, for example, what if we're dealing with inflammation, right? What if we have abnormal amounts of inflammation going on and we want to utilize something that has only positive benefits without side effects like we might see with taking NSAIDs, for example, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that are now well noted to cause pretty significant damage to our gut, to our gastrointestinal tract, to our stomach, and to our immune system as well if utilized for too long. What's something that we can use in that place to help to reduce our body's levels of inflammation and have some other really remarkable benefits as well. A study published in the European Journal of Nutrition uncovered that compounds in turmeric, turmeric can downregulate inflammatory cytokines and upregulate the activity of something called adiponectin, which is a primary satiety hormone in the human body, as well as other satiety-related hormones. So number one, helping to reduce inflammation in the body and helping our hunger and satiety hormones to become more regulated. These are just a couple of the powerful benefits of adding in proactively a turmeric supplement. 
Also, turmeric has been found to improve insulin sensitivity, reduce blood fats, and directly act upon our fat cells themselves. Plus, research published in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology points to turmeric's potential in reducing the severity of both anxiety and depression. Stop it. Come on. There's too many incredible benefits to note here with something as time-tested and utilized by humans for centuries as turmeric is truly remarkable. Now, again, we have modern science to affirm these benefits, but quality, as with anything, always matters when we're going for a turmeric supplement. For me and my family, we're getting our turmeric supplement and these benefits for our cardiovascular system, our brain health, our metabolic health, and more from Paleo Valley. Their turmeric complex is not only all organic, but it also has really important food-based biopotentiators that help the turmeric and the resulting compounds in turmeric, like curcumin, for example, to work far more effectively in the human body. Now, curcumin isn't the only compound that's found in turmeric. This is why curcumin-only supplements are generally not the way to go. If we're looking at an isolated thing of helping to reduce inflammation, yes, but there are other benefits found with the remarkable cascade of nutrients found in turmeric, like something called R-tumorone. Now, R-tumorone has been found to increase the proliferation of our body's neural stem cells. So we're talking about neurogenesis in the human brain. Truly remarkable. Again, check out the turmeric complex from Paleo Valley right now. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash model. You're going to get 15% off their turmeric complex and they're giving you 15% off store wide. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash model for 15% off their incredible turmeric complex. I keep this on hand at all times at my house and as well as store wide. You're going to get 15% off from the good folks at Paleo Valley. Again, go to paleovalley.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Truth About Obesity by Barbara Once More. Thank you. Ever since I saw the 60 Minutes episode you so beautifully deconstructed, I've been hoping someone would take it apart and point out all the flaws and injustices. Thank you for doing a great job. Mad respect. Thank you so much for that acknowledgement and sharing your voice over on Apple Podcasts. And that episode that you're referring to, The Truth About Obesity, by the way, if you happen to have missed that episode, it is a must listen. It's a must listen or must watch. We're going to put that for you in the show notes. Now, here's something really cool is that I was inspired to do that episode because of our special guest. Now, our special guest has a PhD in physiology and anatomy and genetics from the University of Oxford where his research focused on the metabolism of the type 2 diabetic heart in hypoxia. He also holds a master's degree from Columbia University and a bachelor's degree from the University of Nottingham in biotechnology. He has a vast knowledge base, and he's a world expert in physiology and metabolism and consults with elite sport, military, clinical, and research organizations. And he did a wonderful analysis of a recent 60 Minutes episode where they were touting the necessity of obesity-related drugs 
this new category of drugs that target GLP-1 in the body. So this is one of our major satiety hormones. And operating really from the perspective in this 60 Minutes episode that it is our genes that are causing our epidemics of obesity. Our genes are the number one causative agent according to that episode. Again, this storied show, this long-running show that has garnered a lot of trust. This is what they were propagating recently, and I did a breakdown of this, but again, it was inspired by our special guest because his dictation of it was poignant and incredibly insightful and just really pointing out the potential flaws in putting all of our stock and our belief in the fact that it is our genes that are controlling our destiny. So I'm really, really excited about this conversation with Dr. Lat Mansur. Check it out. I have a paper here titled, Genetic Factors Are Not the Major Causes of Chronic Diseases. This was published in one of our most prestigious journals, PLOS One. At the same time, one of the apparent leading researchers on obesity was just highlighted on a long running respected show, 60 Minutes, saying, quote, the number one cause of obesity is genetics, unquote. What's going on here? I think that is absolutely untrue. I've made a video of it and I've given my thoughts around why I think it's untrue because the data does not support that, right? And then I further evaluate why do they say that? Like what drives them to say that? I think when people look at science these days, it's very important to look at what's driving people to do that research. What's the objective? And then why are they coming up with such conclusion? And from then you will find out how objective the science is and what the truth is behind the data. And from that broadcast, they said it very subtly that the broadcast was sponsored by the company that made the drug that they were sort of marketing in that program, which is semaglutide, which helps people to lose weight. And they also mentioned the two doctors that they interviewed that featured in the whole program were advisors to the same company that also sells the drug. So the problem I see here is the major conflict of interest which puts them in a very precarious situation because they're getting paid to do this and they are the more drugs that they sell the company will profit from it and therefore they'll probably get more benefit from it so if you are going to push for something that is so far from truth at least have some substantial data to back it up and most importantly not only just declare your conflict of interest, but follow through with full transparency and full scientific integrity. Yeah, it became a glorified infomercial. Unfortunately, again, a respected show. This is really speaking to in your video dictation of it was like, we have to be mindful of where the science is coming from because we can throw the label of science on anything and really looking at how can we find some integrity here? And the lacking piece was, okay, you're saying that the number one cause of obesity is genetics. How, where's the proof? Exactly. Because again, that paper that I just cited disproved even not just with obesity, but you know, type two diabetes, chronic disease, diseases, cancer, chronic disease yeah. overall, because of our recent innovations in genetic testing, what it's really done is highlighted how few things 
are really kind of controlling what our genes are doing, right? When it comes to, you know, trying to like identify a gene that's causing a thing. And what we're doing is seeing how much the environment and our choices are affecting our genetic expression. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? What are the real causes of obesity? I think when it comes to metabolism, so when you talk about obesity, when you talk about chronic diseases, we are talking about metabolic dysfunction. When I talk about metabolic dysfunction, it's essentially your metabolism is not functioning the way that they should, right? And metabolism is never a straight line. It's a interweb of very complicated pathways that interchange and always balance each other out. So when you have a pathway that goes out of order, another pathway would get changed to compensate for that. So to say that just genetics is the cause and just you're born into it, one, you are taking away hope from people and it's like you just have to resort to drugs and that's it. And even then in the video, they said, even if you're on this drug, you still have to maintain good nutrition and exercise. So, you know, what's the point, right? And the second point is when you have one dysfunctional metabolic pathway, most often than not, the compensatory mechanism will be able to adapt so that you're not yet in the red red zone where you are chronically um, ill. So you might not see the dysfunction in your glucose, you might not see dysfunction in insulin. Over a long time, when you're finally manifesting those diseases, that's when you realize a lot of these different pathways are now out of whack and can't compensate anymore. And that's why for me, the main cause of obesity, the main cause of chronic diseases falls down to a lot to do with lifestyle choices and lifestyle decisions. And I'm not saying that genetics have nothing to do with it. It's just not the number one cause of chronic disease or or obesity. And I'm also saying that these drugs, essentially, I'm not saying that they're useless and I'm not saying that they're not helpful. They are but tools to help people achieve what they couldn't achieve otherwise. So if you've done everything you could in terms of changing your lifestyle, increasing your physical activity, eating healthily, manage your stress well and your sleep well, and you still don't see results, maybe then turn to these different tools like bariatric surgery, semaglutide, right? But to tell people that genetics is the main cause and therefore don't worry about the rest, just go straight to the drug. But then after that, you are dependent on it for the rest of your life, and then you do your lifestyle changes on top of that, that's just unfair, in my opinion. It's incredibly disempowering, you know, which would be framed as the opposite. Like, they were even showing one of the patients, like she's felt such a sense of relief when she was informed by one of these, again, perceived experts on obesity, that this is nothing to do with you. The obesity circumstances you're experiencing, this condition you're experiencing, it's not your fault, it has nothing to do with you. You couldn't have done anything about it. Now here's this drug and we're gonna take care of you. And unfortunately, even with this framing, and I, like you, I love this about you. You were just like, this is an option. However, we need to address these other pieces first. Yeah. We don't just jump right to this thing because your body, as you mentioned, there's all these different interchangeable, intertwining pieces. And if you come in with a blunt instrument in the form of this medication that's GLP-1, one. One, 
protagonist just targeting this one thing like a blunt instrument what else is that going to impact because everything in your body is connected exactly this is a satiety hormone right and this is has a lot to do one of the the common symptoms is like that feeling of nausea what do you think is going to happen if this is targeting something produced by your by your gut really mm-hmm. yeah as i said you know everything is interconnected interdependent so if you you know screw something up um your other systems may be affected and that's why a lot of these people they have to be on that drug for the rest of their lives yeah. because they have they are now not able to rectify their metabolic pathways naturally and i'm not saying that it's easy like i've got one comment and i still remember this because you know i do care about what i tell people and how people feel and one of the comments is like saying that oh you know you look healthy you never you know have to lose that much weight in your life what do you know like i've tried everything and this is a lifesaver and i said you know i've even though i haven't been obese i grew up overweight I grew up in a family that has high obesity prevalence. And I always thought that was my ending. That was going to be my adult life because I didn't know better. Not until I learned about metabolism and physiology and exercise and, you know, changing my lifestyle altogether that drove me to become who I am today. So I'm not saying that it's easy, but you got to at least try that. And if you can't, like I said, you can always go back to this drug. It's it's going to be available for you, right? It, they're not going anywhere. And I've got doctors who I interviewed who use this drug in conjunction with lifestyle changes. And they have seen tremendous results, right? They use a multimodal approach. Um, they use keto diet. They use fasting. They use exercise protocols together with semaglutide. And they, they saw an increase in insulin sensitivity. So that's great. But don't market it as the one and only solution and miracle drug that will solve all of the chronic diseases problems. Let's be real, right? I mean, that's why us scientists get all these like bad connotations because, you know, <laughs> all this vested interest and, yeah. and money in, in pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it's getting interwoven today in even treatments for children, for childhood obesity is trying to get framed right now as part of standard of care, you know, and putting kids, which you said it, lifetime, right? So this isn't something you take for a month and then your headache goes away or your obesity goes away. This is something you need to stay on. And this is gonna be like a kind of a farming and uh, a, a repeat customer for this particular drug. And there's gonna create obviously a dependency on this. On your encouragement, before we even met, or before we even talked and had this conversation, by seeing your video on this, and we'll put it in the show notes, it inspired me to go and look at, like, what are some of the side effects? And so I looked up some data from the Mayo Clinic, and Ozempic is in the same category as well with these formulations targeting GLP-1. And here's what's crazy. So this is a direct quote. Ozempic has been associated with an increased risk of thyroid cancer. Now, according to their own drug data, which I'm just using Ozempic, Ozempic has caused thyroid cancer in animals. It's unclear if this drug also increases thyroid cancer risk in humans. Okay, emphasis on unclear. Now, there's a black box warning on Ozempic from the FDA, and it states that in rodents, Ozempic, quote, 
causes dose dependent. This is the key part I wanted to talk to you about. Dose dependent and treatment duration dependent thyroid tumors, right? Dose dependent. So the longer you're taking, treatment dependent, treatment duration dependent, the longer you're taking, dose how much you're taking, yep. just increasing that. But it's unclear if it's in humans, definitely tumors in rats in the yeah. thyroid associated yeah. with your metabolism, yeah. but hey, it's gonna be fine. Yeah, yeah, uh, those fine prints, I mean, I mean, again, let's let's look at what you're treating here. Are you treating the symptom? Or are you treating the root cause? You know what I mean? Are you treating the symptom at the expense of the increased risk of thyroid hormone, of thyroid cancer? Is that worth it? You tell me, you know? Like, it's, it's, and, and that's why I like when I first like heard first met you in person um you know in in the event last year where you read a section of your book and you talked a lot about the system and the the you know the nutrition system the agricultural system and all that just all tie in together how people behave how people eat how people act how people live their lives and and that is what's causing i mean how much clearer can it be to identify that and then come up with a solution? Now, the thing that was most intriguing about you and your work, even going from that video and just diving more into your universe, is number one, you just mentioned a little bit of your background, you know, with your family history and you essentially writing a new story because on the surface, you know, on paper, you're gonna carry these associated genes that are supposed to determine your destiny. Yeah. But utilizing certain choices with your lifestyle, and unfortunately, even lifestyle factors, I think, gets a bad name. Even saying something like that, because it just sounds like, oh, it's your lifestyle, but you know, this other stuff is far more powerful than that. When you look at just the sheer amount of food that we're consuming, the tons, right, tons of food that we're consuming versus these micrograms of certain medications. Yeah. If we put that up against the amount of nutrients coming from food and or additives and or synthetic chemicals, like we're gonna start to see an imbalance and then we swoosh in here and we try to treat these associated symptoms with a drug. And again, I love that you talk about this. These drugs have their place and we are, should be grateful that they're available. And let's get more focused on what we can do to take control of our own health, our own metabolism. Yeah. And one of the things that you've been pioneering is really helping pe people to understand how our metabolism works and this alternative fuel system that isn't really necessarily even an alternative fuel system. It's a primary fuel system that we evolved to have involving ketones. So can you start off by first sharing for people that don't know from your professional experience and your education, what are ketones, number one, and how can they influence our metabolic health? Great question. So first and foremost, ketones are super fuel that your body uses for energy. It's being preferred by the heart, the brain, and those have been shown very clearly in studies that the heart and the brain will take up ketones when they're available in your body, regardless of availability of other substrates meaning that you know glucose can be there fats can be there but it will take up ketones so our body are our bodies are evolved and designed to 
produce ketones and metabolize ketones. But the problem is the state at which our bodies have to be in in order to produce and metabolize ketones is when you are very low on carb storage. So you need to be either fasting or on a ketogenic diet when you restrict your carb intake uh, severely in order for your body to send signals to your liver in order to break down fat and produce ketones. So the three main ketone bodies that our bodies produce are acetoacetate, acetone, and beta-hydroxybutyrate, which I'll call BHB, just to make it easier. BHB is the form, the main form that our bodies use for transport as well as metabolism when it comes to ketone metabolism. Now, a lot of people ask, why is it a super fuel? It was designed in our bodies to really compensate when, if you think about primal behavior of ancient human beings when they are hunting, and when they don't have storage system to store foods, so they have to go out and hunt whenever they're hungry. But then when they have a you know period of time when they have food, then they you know go through the recovery. And when they are hungry and when they are um, depleted of carb storage, they have to be in a state where they're focused, mm -hmm. but also having the energy needed to physically go out and hunt. This is where ketone comes in because then you are also relying on ketones at that point because you don't have glucose to rely on. So over time, about 20 years ago, DARPA from the military funded a study to look at what are the efficient fuels to help special command operators to go on long and demanding mission. And they sort of arrived at ketones. So whatever I talked about earlier was endogenous ketones, when you create your own ketones. Endogenous means internal, inside. And DARPA's research looked at exogenous ketones, meaning external ketones. So for example, like ketone IQ, where ketone bodies that you can directly drink to increase your blood ketone levels. And for the first time ever, because of exogenous ketones, we are able to have a dual fuel system where you can have glucose in your body but at the same time also have ketones in your body. And that's why a lot of athletes nowadays, including Tour de France athletes, um, our CEO just recently was on Lance Armstrong's um, podcast and talked about how all these cyclists use ketone IQ to dual fuel themselves. Um, and from that DARPA research, years later, we came up with ketone monoester which is a molecule where it's BHB bound with butindiol in an ester form. So that's why they call it ketone ester. Uh, and we were, HVMN was the first company that launched ketone ester into the market in 2017. The problem with ketone ester is that it doesn't taste the best. It tastes very bitter. It also costs quite a lot. It's about, you know, $30, $40 per 25 grams. And only the premium, like top athletes who have sponsorships can afford that. And as of early last year, we came up with Ketone IQ, which is a chirally pure butindiol. So if you think about ketone monoesters, half of it is butindiol. And then over time, we also see a lot of other ketone esters that came into the market, like C6 bound with butindiol, acetoacetate bound with um, butindiol. So we saw the common trend here is the butindiol. What is butindiol? It's a molecule that goes into your liver, gets converted directly into BHB. So it's like a slow release. And on top of that, you get the 
gatekeeping effect of your liver because your liver gets signal from the rest of your body. So if you have enough energy, you the liver would release it a little bit slower so your ketone levels won't jack up too high. So we can talk about that. So ketone ester, what they found is that while some studies show improvement in performance, some studies showed um, neutral, no effect, and one or two studies showed detrimental effect. So the detrimental effect mainly is due to GI issues because of how bad it tastes and people are having like nausea and all that. But on top of that, a study also showed the increase in um, respiratory stress biomarkers, heart rate and, and um, breathing rate, because what happens is ketone ester spikes your blood ketone levels very high between three to five millimolar. And for those who don't know, if you're not on keto diet and you're not on ketosis, your blood ketone levels should be between zero and 0 0.1. But if you're on keto diet, it can go up to you know 0 0.5. Above 0 0.5 is what we call nutritional ketosis. And then it goes further up from there. So when it first came out, we thought, well, ketone is great. So more is better, right? <laughs> yeah. No, we were wrong because once again, metabolism is not a straight line. More is not necessarily better because we want to be in that Goldilocks zone. We want to be in that optimal zone. And that works for everything in our bodies, our enzymes, our hormones. Yeah. You have to be in the optimal pH, optimal temperature, optimal everything. Yeah. So ketone ester spikes up too much, uh, spikes your blood ketones too much, and therefore creates an environment where your blood is too acidic because beta-hydroxybutyric acid is an acid. And especially when you work out, you are also producing lactic acid. So they are these athletes are increasing the heart rate and breathing rate to expel the carbon dioxide to neutralize the blood. That's why we switch over to ketone IQ as well, because through your liver, we know in our internal study, even when we use higher dose, it caps at about 2.5 millimolar. It doesn't go higher than that. So in a way, you know, you're safe. You won't get to that point where you're just feeling ill or you are getting too much blood acidification. See, this is the American way is like more is better, yes. right? Even with something like testosterone, if it can get to a place where it's too high. If you're just walking around, you know, your beard has a beard, you know, you got your eyes yes. like growing hair and, you know, you can't even put pants on because, yeah. you know, you got the, you know. It's so um, true. It's like, it's we can go too far with everything. And so really dialing in that spot in our body where things are at that optimal level where you just feel good, you feel dialed in. That's what I really found from Ketone IQ is that it puts you into that state. And by the way, what's so remarkable about this is that you started off by saying this, your heart, your brain, using this as a preferential fuel. Because for me, my first question immediately when I found out about this was, well, what if glucose is available? Is your body going to preferentially switch over and use these ketones? Does it value it that much? Yeah, yeah. And the heart, they, they showed it because they measured venous uh, arterial blood, so blood going in and venous blood, blood going out. And through that, they can measure how much glucose going in and how much glucose going out so you can measure how much glucose is being taken up by the heart same thing with ketones so what they have seen is that the the heart will continuously take up ketones um, and also other substrates but the other substrates if you increase the dose you will eventually come to a plateau part of the reason could be because the transporters for the other substrates such as glute so glucose transporters or fatty acid transporters like cd36 
could be fully saturated and therefore can't bring in any more. But ketones will continue to go up. Now, I can't fully say that just because by nature ketones is like that, because it could be that the amount or the dose of ketone in the blood at that point is way lower compared to glucose. It could be that. But we do know that regardless or independent of other substrates uptakes, ketones does go up. Can we talk about ketones in the context of athletic performance? Sure. So as I said earlier, you know, a lot of athletes started using ketones, right? And we are sort of providing a physiological state where you have access to both glucose and ketones. And we're never meant to replace the current gold standard or nutritional strategy that athletes are using. So you can still have your um, glucose. And one of the most common questions as well is, do I have to be on a keto diet to drink ketone IQ? The answer is no, because especially if you're using it for performance, you are now fueling your body with both ketone and glucose. And from studies that you know um, looked at performance, we do know that to a certain extent, it does have glycogen sparing effect. So think about glycogen as your glucose stores. When you go for a run, when you exercise, you will use up glucose first, and then you will tap into your glycogen stores. But when ketones are present, glycogen stores depletion actually slows down. So it could be that it's sending signal to slow down the glycogen sparing, but it could also directly provide energy to compensate for the usage of glucose. The second uh, way of looking at it is from a recovery point of view. So there have been studies that showed uh, glycogen resynthesis. There's a separate study that showed mTOR activation, leucine-mediated mTOR activation. So this is very important for protein synthesis. After exercise, they were given protein, especially leucine-containing uh, leucine, uh, protein, carbs, and ketones. And they look at muscle biopsy, and they looked at the muscles specifically, site-specific, increasing leucine-mediated mTOR activation. So that's very powerful. And then there is a full study uh, by Haspel's group in uh, Belgium that looked at cyclists who train in a Tour de France style where they have multiple uh, intervals when they, when they train and they have one or two training sessions per day. They were given ketones, carbs, and protein again, half an hour after training, half an hour before bed. Three weeks later, they increased their work output by 15% that was also corresponding with the increased intake of calories. Mm. Fascinating, this is so fascinating. So I think, you know, and even previously, a lot of the science around sports performance, because all of us, even when I say sports performance, it's really life performance in, in many ways, but like we, we might realize how ketones can help to fuel aerobic activities, but now we have some science indicating how the anaerobic pathways can be benefited as well. Yeah, this is super interesting, right? Well, first of all, let me address what you said about life, um, life performance, right? I really like that because as before we started rolling and, and recording, I was just explaining that the way I describe ketone use cases is now anything or any activities that use your brain, you will benefit from ketone IQ. So in that sense, life in general, you use your brain at all times, even when you're not conscious about it, right? So you will eventually benefit from it. So when it comes to anaerobic, a lot of people, or include me included, right? 
I still believe that glucose is still king when it comes to anaerobic because you get that fast energy. Glycolysis is oxygen independent. So when you tap into the glycolysis pathway, you are creating ATP or energy without having to um, have oxygen. So that's very important when you go for a very fast, intense anaerobic exercise. And whenever you talk about ketones, we know that ketones, you know, if you talk about endogenous, it comes from fats, right? When it comes from fats, it's usually being associated with endurance exercise and aerobic exercise. And that is also why the, the top, the pioneers who started using exogenous ketones were also the endurance athletes, the cyclists, the triathletes, and the long marathoners. But recently, we just completed a study with University of North Georgia, one of the top military universities in the US, that we looked at anaerobic exercise and exogenous ketones for the first time ever. Um, and we combined ketone IQ and glucose uh, for these participants who were put on a 5K run. And then right after that, they were put on an, a Wingate anaerobic test, which means they have to go through five bouts of sprints on a bike at 7.5% of their body weight as resistance. Uh, and they sprint for 10 seconds and they rest for 30 seconds. And the results we saw was really, really surprising because we saw an increase in peak power, increase in average power, increase in velocity, and decrease in fatigue index as we measure their power on the way to the last bout. Obviously, you go through fatigue and you go down further. And we have seen that people who are on ketone IQ, they perform better, but they also feel fatigue less. So one of the hypotheses that you know, the researchers um, found or the researchers speculate is it could have a, an effect on the brain in terms of analgesia, um, sort of numbing the pain because anaerobic test is designed to create a localized pain with lactic acid buildup and all of that. But if your brain perceives it to be less painful, maybe then you can push further and harder and also feel less tired overall but remains to be seen I, I think that should be the next step you know wh whoever researcher whoever scientist who is listening to this this could be a next experiment and again for full transparency yes HVMN paid for this study but I have nothing to do with data collection data interpretation nor the publication so it's all fully independent by the university uh, researchers I did not tell them, hey, give me positive results only. Like <laughs> it, it was all through them. And it was Dr. Parker Hyde, um, who is the PI on this and Dr. Andrew Jaquiel. So just full transparency, you know, even though, and, and as we were talking earlier, you know, yes, all these companies can sponsor all these studies. And at the end of the day, it's a matter of how you declare and how you interpret the studies. And I, I, I truly encourage anyone who's reading research papers go down to the protocol, like read the details. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not it's being sponsored, like they're gonna be studies which are sponsored by industry that are fully, fully credible, right? They're fully unbiased. There are scientists out there who are, like, who are good enough to have that full scientific integrity, regardless of how much they're being paid. This is, again, what sets apart what, you, what you're doing and you know this is the definition of putting one's money where their mouth is by funding studies because as we talked about before we got going with the show 
most of university research done today is funded by pharmaceutical companies. And yes, there can be valid science there, but there can also be a vested interest with the primary goal of making money. And also creating a framing where this is the way, right? Our products are the products because they have a hold on the marketing, they have a hold on public perception, all the things. And so, you know, just looking at this one angle with, you know, and by the way, for folks, there's the aerobic exercise, which we generally think of like doing quote cardio and anaerobic is like explosive things, sprinting, powerlifting, moving things quickly. And I put this to the test today, even, you know, when what I've been doing is because previously when I was experimenting with this, I was looking more through the lens of cognitive performance. And I'm already, you know, somebody that's high performing or pretty dialed in and also sensitive to how their body feels. Certain contexts, you might not notice a difference. I notice the biggest difference when it comes to training, you know, so I put it to the test in doing a combination of aerobic and anaerobic training, right? So doing some strength training stuff along with some cardio stuff. I have never felt so energized. I mean, I don't even like to use that word because like... Because you think of caffeine, you think of stimulants. Exactly. And it's just like, it's a sustainable like feeling of good. Like this thing that normally would deplete me is not depleting me. And I'm able to keep going and to keep performing. And just like, I'm, I'm just gonna say it. Like j literally, I just went to the bathroom before we got started. I'm, I'm, I danced down the hallway and I don't know if it's because, you know, I don't know what it is, but just like even doing a tough workout before coming to the studio, you know, I'm gonna, of course, yeah, I'm gonna have some BDNF production. I'm gonna have different things, yeah. you know, I'm gonna have some different hormones getting produced, some uh, endorphins, all that good stuff. But there's a sustainable energy that I have not experienced before. And I think it's just so cool, like, that you guys have dialed in something so remarkable. And also, again, based on science, based on just the evolution of our species, like this is a fuel that we are designed to have. And now here's the other thing I wanna ask you about is the sourcing, right? Using a fermentation process for this, right? It's so cool to even think about or, or looking into that spectrum of, of science and sourcing to create something like this. Yeah. Um before that, I want to really address what you just said about your experience. So sometimes you and I know, like in this area, in this podcast field and this content creation around science, people sometimes go to the other extreme. They get so bogged down on what's the data? Who's sponsoring the study? Like we can pay for studies all we want. Now this is the time when anecdotal example and case use cases that uh, real people like yourself, and we all know we all know like you know and Sean was just saying like he gets sent stuff all the time and he tries you try all the stuff all the time, for you to be so passionate about this and it, and I know that people would know your credibility because people know your trustworthiness if you know that it's not right you will say it. like you don't you don't give a shit. like you yeah yeah you you'll say it um so for you to to really stand by how you feel i i really feel gratified in what i do as a research research lead of, of ketone iq and hvmm because now i'm truly touching the lives of people i think one of the greatest thing coming out from academia coming out from just being a researcher or a scientist is to have direct touch or impact other people's lives yeah 
So thank you for that. Um, and your question uh, about the uh, fermentation and how how cool it is. I think this is super cool, but then recently we also dug up because a lot of times, you know, throughout the year and a half that we've launched Ketone IQ, there have been a lot of questions, right? Um, is this safe for me? Is this gonna affect my liver because my liver is converting into BHB? I'm like, your liver detox way worse things than, <laughs> right. than just converting oh my butanol to yeah. BHB. So yeah. this is nothing. It's 70 calories worth of butanol. It's nothing. The liver, just sidebar, the, our liver is responsible for drug metabolism, for alcohol metabolism, for just anything that we're exposed to. Our liver is there trying to process and break down. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So ibuprofen you know, right. uh, can can increase your liver enzyme. So no, it does not uh, affect it badly. I've taken it for the past year and a half. My my enzymes were, you know, in, in, in optimal zone. So I'm happy with that. This molecule, butanol, actually have been around since the 60s. People have been looking at it uh, in animals, in um, humans as well in the 70s. They looked at metabolism of it. They looked at the toxicity. It was completely safe. And you know something very, very interesting? And uh, I found a paper that was unclassified. Now, in 1965, they actually experimented with butanol as energy source for astronauts for space exploration. And independent of that, recently, um, a person uh, reached out to me uh, from LinkedIn. He used to work for the European Space Agency. And he's like, he used ketone IQ for his um, bike rides, but now he sees it's like this could be good for for astronauts. So we're actually applying for a grant for European Space Agency to experiment uh, for space exploration. So that's like a little side note, little interesting trivia. Um, but so so it has been around for a long time, for decades. But people haven't really looked into our um, butane now. So, so because all these studies were done in racemic. So when racemic, you get two sort of position of the molecule. One is R and one is S. So when you have R and S butanol, it doesn't raise your blood ketone levels that high, your RBHB that high. But as of our launch of ketone IQ, we are able to really distill it out and create the chirally pure R butanol. And now we are seeing an absolute, you know, significant increase in blood ketone levels. So that's that's the novelty of of our technology and, you know, human advancement in, in general. I think technology that allow us to just improve of, of on what we already know. You know, it's not a novel idea. And and as we were talking about, like ketone is not something novel. It's not a magic molecule that just got discovered recently. It is a molecule that our bodies will use and recognize for eons. And if you drink ketones versus you produce your own ketones, ketone is ketone is ketone. It's the same exact molecule. Your body will recognize it the same. It will, you know, the same transporters will pull it in the same way as if you produce it your own. So yeah, and even with this anecdotal, even what I'm sharing, if you stress this out, you guys also have a contract with the Department of Defense, you know, like this stuff has been studied for quite some time, like you mentioned, you know, going back to NASA. And now it's really being able to get people educated 
about this fuel source? Because even with athletic performance, we tend to think about, I know with endurance, it's gonna be like these gels and a lot of glucose, like things that you gotta keep on throwing in the system because they're very fast burning, right? And this is a different fuel source. Like one of the things that's interesting about your body utilizing ketones is the satiety factor that takes place as well. So there's like this appetite regulation piece. And if you could, could you talk about the influence potentially that this might even have on our blood glucose? Yeah, so there are a couple of studies that have been published already by University of British Columbia by Dr. Jonathan Little. Um, and across the board, whenever you take exogenous ketones, uh, including ketone IQ, an hour later, you will see your blood glucose drop. And sometimes it drops down to like 70, which is quite low, but you don't feel that hypoglycemic feel when you feel unwell. You actually feel energized because your body is using the ketone instead of uh, glucose. One of the hypotheses that Dr. Jonathan Little proposed is that when you have ketones, it sends signal to the liver to reduce production of glucose via gluconeogenesis because our body constantly churns out glucose via gluconeogenesis, whether or not we're eating glucose. That's why even when you're fasting, you'll still have a baseline glucose. That's how important glucose is. That's why I always tell people, HVMN is not anti-glucose. We are not a ketogenic diet company. We are a metabolism health, metabolic health company that we really push for optimizing the human experience, essentially. And, um, and it's funny you say this because um, recently, last week, I interviewed Dr. Casey Means on HVMN podcast. And during the interview, we did a little uh, feature where I was wearing the Levels Continuous Glucose Monitor, and she just showed how to put it on, but then she measured her blood glucose level as well as her blood ketone levels via finger prick. So after one hour, so we had ketone shot before the podcast, an hour later, we measured our glucose. And so my glucose went down nine points from 89 to 80 because I was already fasting. So, and then her glucose went down even more than that. And she was so shocked that her ketone level went from 0 0.2 to 1.4. Yeah, so just that time span. Just that time span. So it, it works, you know, like, and, and she will be able to feel the difference as well. Like we were talking earlier, the best part of ketone IQ is obviously not the taste, but it is the subjective feedback, the subjective effect on your body. Like you will feel the mental clarity. And I tell a lot of people, don't expect, when you talk about energy, when you talk about, as we were talking about earlier, don't expect the stimulant point like kind of feeling. Don't expect like caffeine kind of effect because that means like you're feeling jittery. You're feeling like you need to bench, you know, 300 pounds. It's a very subtle and right. calm right. energy feel. It's if you do meditation, have you ever tried that? Take ketones and then meditate. You feel your your, your mind really, like I really like that feeling. It's like my brain just expands into this quietness, but also very focused sort of area. Um, yeah. Some people use it for meditation. Some people, I've used it before breath work. I use it before bed. Um, that's anecdotal. We've tested the sleep data uh, based on the UNG data. We didn't see any significant difference in improvement or detriment. But I personally, you know, and I, I know a lot of anecdotally um, customers, uh, they, they use it before bed and they found that sleep quality increased. Some people, they couldn't 
sleep with it. So I would say, you know, try out because you know your body best. And that's the thing is it's going to be personalized. You know, some, for some folks utilizing this, they're going to feel that sustained energy. For me, it was more what I noticed is a lack of drop of energy. That would be the best way to frame it for me personally. Yeah. And, and just somebody who spent time paying attention to my body, paying attention to my system. For some people, they might not experience that, and that's okay. But for the majority of folks who are utilizing Ketone IQ, they're going to notice that things are working better in some form or fashion. Yeah. And so, by the way, when you mentioned even with the taste, Ketone IQ is tastes significantly better than the old school Ketone esters yes. out there. And also a little great, tactic here is making sure that it's cold like keeping it in the fridge because when i first had it and it was just like fresh off the shelf i was like oh this is gonna be a tough buy-in then just by refrigerating it seriously it made a significant difference and you know some things you got to pay to play but truly if you look at how far things have come and even with the palatability of this and what you get from it is really remarkable and by the way so folks are like where can i get this Go to hvmn.com forward slash model and you're going to get 30% off your first subscription order. All right, which is really cool. They just hooked us all up with this 30% off your first subscription order. hvmn.com forward slash model. Go there now. Try this out. Pay attention to how you feel. Use it in different contexts. Yeah. You know, again, as a pre-workout, I had about 30 minutes before I worked out. You can do this if you know you've got a big mental load that you're about to dive into, creativity, you know, you've got some things on your, but I said it earlier, life performance, use it in different contexts and pay attention because I really think that you're going to notice a significant difference. Presentations, interviews, exams. Podcasts. Podcast, <laughs> um, workout, runs, intensive anaerobic power lifts, Anything that use your anything that uses your brain, go try it. Let's dive in and talk more about ketones in the context of brain health. All right, and also just cognitive function overall. I know we've got some sound data, for example, like with MCTs, right? But this is a different level of it. Let's yeah. talk about that. So first of all, let's address MCT. MCT is a great. Um, it's medium chain triglycerides. It's a great form of fats that we can take and it has high ketogenic, ketogenic uh, effect, meaning that these fats will be converted into ketones, into BHB again, in a very efficient manner. However, the studies show that MCT can only get you above 0.5 millimolar, so not too high. So if you want to get into that performance level from so far from the studies, I would say, Above one millimolar is the therapeutic ketosis, sort of good for therapeutic metabolic health in general and the mental dial-in. And above two, between 1.5 to 2.5 would be for performance. That's the aim to get into. And while, you know, MCT have been shown to be really helpful with like neurodegenerative diseases, uh, so did exogenous ketones. So there's a study by uh, Mujica Parodi. They measured functional MRI. They looked at brain network stability as we age. So as we age, our network stability will decrease. And the way they 
define brain network stability is the interaction between the different brain regions. Because as you know, we have different regions in the brain that is, you know, that do different things. And the interaction between these brain regions is what they term it as brain network stability. They put the participants on ketogenic diet for a week. And then there is another group also, um, they're not on ketogenic diet, but they only took one shot of ketone ester because uh, it was quite early on and we haven't even had ketone IQ yet then. Um, both those groups, they had no difference, but compared to placebo, both of their functional MRI showed increased brain network stability. So they showed increase in um, interaction between brain regions. And then if we dive even deeper into traumatic brain injury and concussion, we know there is some form of energy deficit in, in those cases. So within 48 hours of a concussion or traumatic brain injury, they have observed an increase in glucose metabolism. The brain upregulates glucose metabolism and really creates energy. Some people think that it may, because it, it, it may due to the demand of energy to cope with the damage. Uh, some people think that it's being shoved into the pentose phosphate pathway and create more NADPH to mitigate the damage. We don't know for sure, um, but we do know that there is an energy demand increase. And then after that, they saw a hypometabolism of glucose. So it sort of balances out and then it lowers the glucose metabolism. So there is again, the, the energy deficit. And for people who do not have ketones in their bodies, these people upregulate lactate, lactate uh, metabolism. So they're using a different source of, of um, fuel now, you know, apart from glucose. And then a lot of people are like, why can't you use fat? So this is the beauty of it. So I didn't talk about it earlier, why our bodies create ketones from fat when we are starving. It's because fat cannot bypass the blood brain barrier. Fat molecules are too big to bypass the barrier. And therefore you need to be uh, it needs to be uh, converted into ketones, which are smaller molecule to bypass. That's why um, our bodies prefer, or our brains prefer ketones. So what I hypothesize is that if these people are given ketones at the moment of them getting concussion or, or brain injury, it may help with that energy demand to really mitigate the damage and then over time, providing the ketones may also really close that gap of energy deficit and therefore decreasing the risk of them developing neurodegenerative diseases later on. And a lot of people with concussion and TBI, they actually report a lot of times they encounter or they experience brain fog. And for those who actually try Ketone IQ, and these are customers who just write to us directly. Uh, we don't know them and they literally just buy it from us. We didn't pay them to say this, but they actually said, oh, I've had a concussion and I've always had brain fog. And thanks to your product that it's, 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 I can function properly. I can be more productive. I can focus, I can be more functional. And that is some of the most gratifying like feelings that, that you could get, you know, working for a company like this. and hearing what people feel after they take your product. I think right now, you know, we have two hospitals uh, as well, by the way, two hospitals in Perth, Australia. 
they have their protocol approved to use ketone IQ for a multi-center TBI study. And again, we are not sponsoring this study, by the way. They are actually buying from us to run these studies. So we have no skin it with them like it's all up to them how they how they run it and all of that they're using this as one of the interventions because they did their research on exogenous ketones what's the most economical the most efficient taste wise all of that and they decided ketone iq is the choice and then us as well we are collaborating with the naval health research center and just submitted a grant to cdmrp to for tbi in the military as well so fingers crossed we'll find out early next year I was just thinking about the implications here for like NFL players, mm-hmm. for example, you know, post game, right? And, you know, this is a place where CTE and concussions and all these different things, these are just run of the mill, regular, you know what I mean? And what if there was a way to effectively nourish and insulate the brain, speed, potentially speed recovery, but one of the underlying mechanisms that you just shared, we've got this brain network stability, we've got this whole brain integration because our brains and our bodies know what to do, right? And oftentimes it's getting out of the way of the process or helping to create conditions where the process can happen more gracefully, right? And so by utilizing this fuel source, helping our brains to be able to do that job of healing and regeneration that is innate within us, Right, and so, and also thank you for mentioning the fact of, you know, these gates, the, the, the gates that are shuttling fuel to the brain. The brain is very hungry, it's a very hungry organ. And even though it's just about 2% of our body's mass, it's like consuming like 25 to 30% of the calories we consume. And a lot of that glucose preferentially is just getting shut. Your brain will gladly consume upwards of maybe 50% of the glucose from any given meal because it's running so many processes. Your brain is like, it's an entire universe. Michio Kaku said it's the most complicated object in the known universe, right? Which is a pretty remarkable statement. And so understanding that that fuel source, again, but it's a very quick burning, like lightning in a bottle type thing versus something more sustainable in a bottle where We even see this, and this gets me thinking about another question, which is in the context of something like epilepsy, right? Well, we know that a ketogenic protocol is one of the most effective time-tested treatments for folks that are experiencing this. And essentially those glucose-driven pathways, just creating fireworks in the brain could also lead towards having a seizure in some aspects. And this is helping to like lower that activity, in a sense, that kind of explosive energy, calm the brain, provide an alternative fuel source that's not as inflammatory, by the way, I think that's the key word to say here. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm so glad you brought up epilepsy. And this is a, a prime example of how exogenous ketone is not the miracle drug. It's not the super drug that we think it is. It does a lot of things. But when you have conditions like epilepsy, for example, is overexcitation of the brain and it's mainly caused by, you know, glucose consumption, you may need the ketogenic diet instead of exogenous ketone just for the lowering of glucose and lowering of insulin and, and all those pathways rather than temporarily increase ketone levels. Don't get me wrong, the ketone levels will still help when it comes to anti-inflammatory and also uh, relaxation in terms of GABA pathway. But 
the lowering of glucose may also play a big part in it. And I spoke to Dr. Chris Palmer as well in terms of mental health and the metabolic disorder of the brain. There are certain diseases that you need to have an overhaul of nutrition where ketogenic diet may be more useful. Now, if you're talking about brain injury, like it, since it's also gobbling up all this glucose, you know that it's not the, the glucose is not the problem. The energy deficit may be the problem. So that's where it comes in. So um, ketones, as you said, has been shown to decrease inflammation uh, via NLRP3, which is an inflammasome. And that is a powerful tool. But another thing I wanted to point out is that I see ketone as an adaptive fuel because there was one study which, you know, people ran with it. One study came out, they're like, oh, um, ketones increase inflammation when it's put in a test tube with uh, bacteria toxin in it. So it drives up inflammation. The way I see it, ketones adapt to whatever your body needs, adapt to whatever stimulus you give it. So for example, in this example, you already having chronic inflammation in all these neurodegenerative diseases. It's shown to lower those. But if you just isolate it and put in a bacterial toxin, it increases inflammation because that's what your body should do mm -hmm. if you have, have an invasion. Same thing, it should suppress appetite when you're not doing anything, when you're just taking it for podcasts. Like I'm still fasting now what time is it like two three so i haven't eaten anything um and it i don't feel hungry it's suppressed appetite but in the study for recovery where they increased 15 percent work output they saw an increase in calorie intake how does that work right so increase in mTOR activation like i said earlier when you exercise and you give proteins it increases lutein leucine mediated mTOR activation but in longevity studies where they have decreased calories they have increased ketones you see a decrease in mTOR activation. Mm. So again, it's all very much a interweb and optimal level of what you're trying to achieve. I think that's why going into the different protocols and different way people run these studies are so important for us to really figure out what the truth is. And um, you know, as we were saying earlier, whatever activity that your brain uses, uh, but a, a very interesting conversation came up last week when I was interviewed by Dr. Mindy, uh, Mindy Peltz that not only does it fuel whatever activities that use your brain, but if you think about why is it your brain and your heart preferentially use ketone, is that because these organs are energetically very demanding. They need a lot of energy. And then she was like, oh, what about ovaries for women's health? Ovaries are one of the most like energy demanding organs. And this could potentially help with fertility problems. I was like, I didn't even think about that because I'm not an expert in that area. And now Dr. Mindy Peltz, she's like, I'm going to try it now. And it's, it's super interesting. It's like whatever, whenever your body needs that extra energy, whether it's for performance or for recovery or for mitigation of damage or for correction of energy deficit base damage ketones could potentially help wow yeah which is super powerful i love this because you've got so many different practitioners who are experimenting with this with their patients as well even in this context of reproductive health for example mm -hmm. and it's a really cool time to be alive and i'm interested to see you know with my increased 
ability to engage in workload, like the impact it's going to have on my body composition. Like I'm really interested to 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 see this played played out. But it's it's just, it's exciting because I haven't had anything recently that I have that notable ability for work output. Yeah. Right. And obviously, you know, again, like I can compete at a pretty high level. You know, there's a lot that I could do. But I do, I'm human, so I would notice like the depletion. I'd notice that point where, okay, you know, this is a, I could see the energy dip to where like, okay, it's time to shift to recovery. And it's just like, man, today was really exciting, you know? And I'm not kidding, like when I left here to go to the bathroom, I'm dancing, dancing down the hallway like Kevin Bacon or some shit in Footloose, like, <laughs> and I'm just like, Sean, chill, what are you doing? You know, like, All that I'm looking energy. like, is anybody seeing me? But I'm. I'm not just gonna fully it's also part of this is the is the conversation piece as well and the great people i'm around that has me on on 10 of course but man like just the fact that i utilize ketone iq today is just like huh that's that's really interesting so i want to circle back because again i don't think that it's common knowledge about how the heart plays into this and the utilization of ketones and it makes complete sense for me because if we think about the human heart, and there's also, you know, it's been dubbed to contain effectively what is, is known as a quote, heart brain. There are a tremendous amount of neurotransmitters and receptor sites, like things that we would attribute towards brain function in the human heart. And it's also very broad electromagnetic, just, you know, similar with the brain, there's just a lot of energy production and a lot of electricity, right? Where you have these different things and in hospital settings, for example, to monitor like this electric energy that the heart is giving off and a brain is giving off. And with that being said, for it to have this intelligence to utilize this fuel source, let's talk about heart health in mm -hmm. the context of ketones, mm -hmm. heart health, cardiovascular health, because the reason I'm asking this is that this is the, still today the number one cause of disease and dysfunction. Yep. In our in our world today is heart disease is the number one cause of death let's put it like that in the united states it's the king of mortality right where people are dying prematurely from heart disease let's talk about ketones in this context i am so glad you brought that up because now this is my area of passion because my late father passed away from stroke he had a heart attack a few years before that and he had a um, open heart surgery so, and that was, I was 17 then. And the company that I joined after my master's program was the medicines company and they focused on cardiovascular disease and critical, critical care pathways. And my PhD was in cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So I looked at metabolism of type two diabetic heart in hypoxia, which is low oxygen. So I definitely have a lot of personal vested interest in this area because I'm also looking at it from myself, knowing that I may have increased risks of developing heart disease and also all the other chronic diseases associated with it. And that's also what drove, drove me to, to live healthier and, and eat healthier and all of this stuff. So from the context of ketones, we know that in humans, a failing heart upregulates ketone consumption and uptake naturally just naturally with or without having having ketones in the body you know when you even when these people are not drinking exogenous ketone or, or ketone iq we see an uptake 
of um, ketones into the heart. It's fascinating. Which is fascinating. Yeah. And in 1995, Sato uh, published a paper that showed the heart metabolized ketones more efficiently compared to glucose per molecule of oxygen used. So efficient fuel we're talking about, right? And this study um, in from Netherlands published a couple of years ago, looked at animal models, both mice and rats. They combined two different studies from two different sites, uh, one in the US, one in the Netherlands. They looked at the failing heart and also um, an artificial heart attack that they created in these animals. And they these animals were given ketones. What they have seen is that, one, it mitigates the damage from the heart attack, but most importantly, after someone has a heart attack, most often than not, they'll go through a cardiomyopathy or cardiohypertrophy where your heart will enlarge because of the damage area, your heart is not functioning as well. So it compensates it by growing bigger so that it can pump enough blood through the body. The hypertrophy was also mitigated when ketones are present. And these are only in animals. Currently, the, the same university, I'm actually talking to the researcher, um, they already started a study using ketone IQ for humans. So I can't wait for the results to come out, can't wait for the pub published paper to come out. Again, we didn't, we didn't uh, sponsor this study. This was independent, uh, fully, you know, uh, on the researcher on the University of Aarhus, I think um, it was Denmark. That one was Netherlands and then this one was Denmark. And um, yeah, they decided to use ketone IQ and all I did was help them understand ketone metabolism, help them understand the dosing when it comes to humans and um, off they go. So amazing. fingers crossed, we'll find some really interesting results because ultimately what I want is not just, oh, I'm working for HVM and I'm selling product. It's my passion in like solving chronic diseases and diabetes because my mom's side obesity and diabetes my, my dad's side heart attack so if we can solve this problem as you said like number one killer in the world with just food product and not a pharmaceutical think about how powerful that would be then again i might get removed from you know pharmaceutical companies at this point you know right. i might be taking you know money out of them <laughs> so now this really speaks to the different paradigms that we have today simultaneously existing where we have such a powerful pharmaceutical matrix or pharmaceutical uh, industry that is largely controlling um, health narrative there's so much you know being the united states is one of the few places on planet earth that allows marketing direct to consumers for drugs on television right and also a lot of our media outlets are sponsored by pharmaceutical companies you're up against a really powerful giant in this context. And you just said it, a food product, right? Being able to help to mitigate damage from chronic illnesses, from, from traumatic injuries, and also helping to potentially provide the environment within the body for reversal of these conditions. And one of the things that's most exciting for me is the, the portion where people can start to better manage their blood glucose because derangements with blood sugar, elevated blood sugar in particular, is a primary component of the majority of the top 10 causes of death in the United States. And 
it's again having the opportunity to take back control of our own metabolism having more agency and thank you for mentioning this several times you know this isn't like this miracle cure but in some ways in some people in, in these different contexts it can be remarkable at the benefits that can be found from this and so it's really exciting time to to be alive because it's really a ancient old brand new integration right something that our bodies are designed to utilize utilizing plus utilizing our current science and also strategies to create this at scale so you know it's, it's so cool and different literally the potential for this to be used in outer space down to on the ground level right is is super exciting and i and i want to ask you about this as well so we've talked about the 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 brain health aspect we've talked about the heart health aspect we talked about the sports performance aspect is there anything else that people need to know that you guys have looked at as far as some health benefits that can be extracted from ketones oh um i think we covered quite a lot of grounds i think you know as you said the metabolic dysfunction that stems from the dysregulation of glucose is super big right but i think ultimately when it comes to health make sure the foundation is set yes right your 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 physical activity your nutrition because you will spend way more time out of your 24 hours doing those things and this is just one shot it can't correct everything and as you were nicely explaining how versus a pharmaceutical this could be super super significant and powerful to some people especially if we are looking at it from a preventative point of view but from a curative point of view we have yet to see the data obviously i'm hopeful but i think an ideal world would utilize both preventative and the curative effect of pharmaceuticals we'll still need stents if somebody's arteries are clogged for example medical devices pacemakers like there's a lot of things that ketones can't solve but what it can do is hopefully help you and and being a tool in driving your your own life towards a healthier pattern whether it's to suppress your appetite so that you have less calories per day to providing you enough energy so that you can go and have a, a better longer more productive workout to preparing you if you have high risk of having concussion or injury to your brain and have that energy ready to go to fix whatever damage that is to occur you've got a spectrum of elite athletes who are utilizing ketone iq uh, top neuroscientists the list goes on and on and again it's really remarkable thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and also you know again pointing us back to we've got to make sure that we're taking care of the foundation it's the most important thing you know like if we st start stacking conditions because again i'm a big i'm a big proponent of us paying attention to results right this current model that we have in human health and so-called healthcare, 
things continued to get worse. Like we're not really doing very well. We're very good at masking symptoms. We're very good at if, of course, if there is a traumatic incident to help to, you know, like, again, if somebody's arm is hanging off, don't give them turmeric. You know what I mean? Like, however, if we look at preventative approaches to things, utilizing our nutrition, exercise, all the things that our genes expect from us, this can help to supplant so much suffering and the need for treating symptoms with, with drugs. And we can create a whole new paradigm, but it's gonna take for us to really experiment. Number one, this is why this is so important as well. Experiment, find out what works for you because it's probably not gonna be the same for the next person. Have the audacity to do that and continue to learn and get educated, stay up to date with the information. And so with that being said, where can people follow you and stay up to date with you as well? Um, they can follow me on at Latmanso, L-A-T-T-M-A-N-S-O-R on all my social media or at HVMN as well. And they can also listen to our podcast, HVMN podcast with Dr. Latmanso, who I host. Um, and, you know, I'm learning so much from you as well as a you know seasoned podcast host and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and thank you so much for having me here i mean it has been such an honor um to be on the model health show and i would say to people you know like you said everyone everyone's body is unique you're the phd of your own body and therefore go experiment choose to take the step today because don't wait until it's too late don't wait until you're sick to do something about it just because we're talking about metabolic health, we're talking about brain health, we're talking about cardiovascular disease, just because you're healthy today doesn't mean that it mean it does not pertain to you at all. Just having that knowledge and having that initiative at hand might come might be useful later. So good. Get a PhD on you, on your own health, your own body become the world leading expert on you. That's yeah. Nobody will understand your body better than yourself, you including your doctors. Right, that's you You live in there. Yeah. <laughs> so you gotta make sure that you're a good roommate. So man, thank you so much again for coming to hang out with okay. us. It's, it's been amazing. And again, everybody head over to hvmn.com forward slash model, 30% off your first subscription order, ketone IQ, try it out, experiment and Again, PhD on you, on your health, your body, sovereignty, agency, empowerment. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Dr. Lat Mansour, everybody. Thank you. The science around ketosis and the use of ketones has been rapidly increasing in our world today. And for good reason, there's a substantial amount of data affirming the benefits on our heart health, our brain health, our overall metabolic health. But most importantly, as with anything, we really need to pay attention to us and our unique needs. And so experimenting with things, absolutely, whether it's intermittent fasting and fasting, whether it's a ketogenic protocol, whether it's the use of exogenous ketones, we can experiment with any and all of these things, but it really matters how we feel and paying attention to the most important biomarkers, which is how we look, how we feel, and how we perform, paying attention to ourselves going within and one of the things that lat share with me is that what he's seen to be the most remarkable data points is for people who have sensitivity and awareness within their own bodies to notice like how different things 
make them feel. Certain foods and certain supplements can take time. You know, we reach a certain point of critical mass to where we notice like, oh my goodness, like this thing has really improved this aspect of my life, whatever that might be. Whether it's my memory, whether it's my performance at the gym or my performance in my sport, whatever it is for us. But something like Ketone IQ, the change that you can notice happens relatively quickly. It can happen that same day. And that's what's really remarkable about it for me because there are very few things that have been brought to the market that have that kind of rapid change for a lot of people, not for everybody. And again, this is where it comes into you experimenting and finding out things for yourself. This might be truly remarkable for you. This might be negligible, but most importantly, Again, it's about experimentation and adding things in and finding a way to dial in the very best nutritional and lifestyle protocol for you, where you are right now in your life. So again, check out hvmn.com forward slash model, and they're going to hook you up with 30% off your first subscription order. And listen, we've got some incredible masterclasses coming your way and the most amazing world-class guests to help you to feel empowered and educated. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.